I have a few funny things for you this morning. And uh, how many know laughter is good medicine? So, all right, King James Version. I will never leave thee or forsake thee. Message Bible. Never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. Never going to run around and desert you. <laughs> okay, so we've been talking about Nehemiah. We've been talking about Nehemiah. And so this, this joke, I need to say a scripture to set up the joke. So the scripture is, and we're actually going to be talking about probably next week, Nehemiah 6.3 is the scripture. It's where Nehemiah is doing the work on the wall, and the enemy's trying to get him to come off the wall. And he says, I'm doing a great work, so I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? So, okay, so that's the setup for the joke. So when they request your presence at a work meeting, you send, a, you send back the response, Nehemiah 6.3, my work is too important to stop now and go there. I can't afford to slow down the work just to go to another meeting. <laughs> so that was from Angela. You can thank or blame her, <laughs> depending on how you like that one. Okay, I got a couple more. I would agree with you, but then we would both be wrong. <laughs> Men, don't use that one on your wife. I may or may not be speaking from experience. All right, and this last one's just silly. By replacing your morning coffee with green tea, you can lose up to 87% of what little joy you still have left in your life. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just thank you so much. You're so good. Yeah, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for what you've done, and we thank you for what you're doing. And God, we pray that that would be our focus, what you've done and what you're doing now. And God, I just thank you for the amazing testimonies that we've seen this year in our church and in our, our lives and in our families. And God, we know that you're just getting started. And I just bless everybody here, God. Just put your hand on your heart this morning. Yeah, we just open up our hearts to you, Holy Spirit. Just say, Holy Spirit, come. Speak to me this morning. I want to hear your voice. Yeah, Father, speak to each heart. And we just pray for your anointing this morning. I pray for your anointing that breaks every yoke of bondage off of every single person here, God that we would come up, God, into new areas of glory and life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. So we are continuing in our Rooted series today. This didn't, I didn't intend on it being a series, but I've just been getting so much out of um, this conversation, really, that I've been having with the Lord. And it took me to the book of Nehemiah, and... Right now, I just want to challenge you. How many, I challenged you last week to jump into Nehemiah. How many were able to read Nehemiah last week? A few of you? Yeah, one, a few. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, five of you. Awesome. And um, six, I saw that. <laughs> and I want to encourage you, you know, if you have the time to jump into Nehemiah, um, I'm just getting so much life and revelation from it. It's like every verse is just pregnant right now with revelation. So I want to encourage you to jump into that. We're going to continue our Rooted series today, and we're going to uh, jump right back into the book of Nehemiah. And this is a season we've been talking about all year long about going into the promised land. This is a season to root yourself in the Lord like never before. I firmly believe that. It's time to put roots down. 
It's time to build the, the things that God's calling you to build. It's time to move forward in confidence in the Lord. You know, in week one, we talked about um, getting uh, shame and condemnation and guilt out of your life because these are the tools of Satan that he uses to keep you from your promised land. He doesn't want you to go in, and, it, and if he can, he can put shame on you, condemnation on you, you actually will, won't feel like you're worthy of the promises that God has for you, and you feel like you're not able to walk in because you're not worthy of it. So we talked about getting rid of shame, guilt, and condemnation. We talked about godly meditation. Um, David talks about meditating in the word. It says, day and night I meditate in your word. David talks about meditating on what God has done and meditating on what God is doing. And in Psalm 119.99, he says, I have more wisdom and insight than my teachers because your meditations or your testimonies are my meditation. So as we focus on what God is doing and we focus on the testimonies of Jesus, it actually brings wisdom. Last week, we talked about vision. We talked about needing a vision for our lives. And uh, one of the things that has just been playing in my mind all week that we talked about last week is a lack of resources or a lack of open doors are not your problem. But if you don't have a vision, that's a problem. So we need a vision from the Lord. And what we saw last week is as Nehemiah got the vision from the Lord and he stepped into what God was asking him to do, God opened the doors and God brought the provision. So God always brings provision for the vision. So we don't need to seek the, the provision, but we need to seek the vision. Amen? That was good. That rhymed. Amen. And the story of Nehemiah, this kind of stood out to me this week. It's a parallel story to the story of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and going into the promised land. Now, the two stories are about a thousand years apart. So Moses and when he led the uh, children of Israel out of Egypt, that was around 1400 BC. And a thousand years later, is when uh, the story of Nehemiah takes place. It's around 400 B.C. So in the time of Moses, the Israelites are oppressed and they're scattered away from their homeland. In the time of Nehemiah, the Israelites are oppressed again and scattered away from their homeland. God speaks to Moses through a burning bush while he is in another land to bring out the people of Israel uh, out of Egypt and into the promised land. God puts puts it in Nehemiah's heart while he is in another land to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and reestablish the city. Nehemiah was a cupbearer, which means he was very close to the king. He was very trusted by the king and influential to the king. Moses was a prince of Egypt. And in the promised land story, the Israelites are coming out of slavery and into the promised land. And in the story of uh, Nehemiah, the Israelites are coming out of oppression and back into their promised land. So it's interesting there's these really uh, parallel lines that run between these two stories. So we left off last week in Nehemiah 4, but I want to start in Nehemiah 6 today, and then we're going to go, we're going to go back, and we're going to work our way forward. So um, I did not give scriptures. I had them all ready to go, and I forgot to send the email, so sorry, sound booth. <laughs> so, but if you want to go in your Bible to Nehemiah 6, uh, if you have a digital version, I'm going to be in uh, New American Standard, NASB today. 
And we're going to read Nehemiah 6. We're going to start in verse 10. We're going to go through 14, and then we're going to kind of work back from Nehemiah 1 and go forward. So Nehemiah 10, or Nehemiah 6, verses 10 through 14. So the context here in, in this passage that we're going to read, these few scriptures, is the wall that the Israelites are building, led by Nehemiah, it's almost finished, and there's a plot to assassinate Nehemiah, and what the enemy is really trying to do is to get Nehemiah and the Israelites to go into fear. Several times in chapter 6, Nehemiah says, there, there is a plot against me, but it's the, the plot against me is to cause me to go into fear. They're trying to intimidate me so that I will go into fear. They're trying to bring fear. So that's a theme in Nehemiah 6. Now I want to read a verse 10. So it says, When I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined at his home, he said, Let us to meet, meet together in the house of God. I want to stop real quick there. So Shemaiah is actually an Israelite. So this is, when this is happening, right before this is where there is Ammonites and um, a bunch of the ites <laughs> come to Nehemiah, and they're, they're saying, hey, um, we want to have a conversation. You know, I know you're doing this thing, but you need to come down and talk to us. And this is the passage where he's like, nope, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should I stop the work and come down to you? I'm going to keep doing my work. And so there's, they actually have a plot to kill him. And so when that doesn't work, um, this, this next passage is talking about another attack, but this attack is coming from within. So there was this attack from the outside, but this is an attack from within. This is another Israelite. How many know the enemy wants to take down churches? He wants to take down families, and he doesn't care if he does it from the outside in or from the inside out. And so this attack is coming from the inside out. So back to verse 10, um, I entered the house of Shemaiah. He's confined at his home. He said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they're coming to kill you at night. But I said, should a man like me flee and could one such as I go to the temple to save his life, I will not go in. Verse 12, look at this. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. So he was hired by the enemy to bring a false prophetic word, and that would cause the, the purpose of the false prophetic word was to cause him to hide and to go into fear. Verse 13 says as much. It says, he was hired for this reason that I might become frightened, become frightened and act accordingly and sin so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. Remember, O God, Tobiah and Sanballat, according to these words of theirs, and also Noadiah the prophetess and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. Now, I got somewhat of a revelation in this passage that I don't think I've ever really seen before. 
Psalm 37, 8 says this. It says, do not fear. I think I talked about this last week. It says, do not, no, I'm sorry, do not fret, for it only leads to evil doing. Do not fret, it only leads to evil doing. So fear causes us to move into sin. So this was a false prophetic word spoken against Nehemiah that was intended to bring fear. And what Nehemiah says is this word came against me, verse 13, for the reason that I might become afraid and move into sin so that they would have an evil report against me. So this is kind of the new revelation I'm getting is fear actually causes us to move into sin. So when, you're, when fear comes, how many know fear is from the enemy? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God did not give you a spirit of fear. So fear is a demonic spirit. It's one of the most tormenting demons there is. And if you've experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And fear is from the enemy. And so when, when we're in fear, we have two choices. We can either repent and move out of fear or we move into sin. So fear causes us to sin. And it said that they wanted me to fear so that I would sin so that they could have an evil report to reproach me. So here's, here's another way to say it. By acting in fear, we actually empower uh, and bring validation to the enemy's accusation against us. So when we act in fear, it actually appears to validate the things that the enemy are saying about us. And it gives them a reason to say, see? So study the book of Nehemiah and you'll get a PhD in how the enemy attacks and how to stand against it. So when we're in fear, we have two choices. We can either stay in it and sin or we repent our way out of it. We repent for, you know, when we're in fear, we're, we're not thinking like God thinks. And we repent for the, the thoughts and the ideas and the values that are warring against our destiny and against our vision. And we're like, okay, God, I'm thinking wrong. I've moved into this realm of fear. And I repent for thinking this way, for this uh, grabbing onto the enemy's thoughts and values. And I, I repent and I step back into what you say, what you believe about me, what you're in, in the, into that realm of faith again. So the enemy's main tools are fear, intimidation, lies, and accusation. All right, let's jump back. So I, want, I wanted to kind of hold that, as, hold that thought as we go through this. The, the attack of the enemy is fear that will cause us to go into sin, and it will appear to bring validity to the lies of the enemy against us. Okay, go back to uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. So Nehemiah hears that the people of Israel are in great distress. This is the context. This is the first few verses. And that the walls and the gates are burned down. And then he, we talked about this last week, then he mourns, then he fasts and prays, and then he goes to the king. Now I want to read to you uh, Nehemiah 2, verse 1. And here's what it says in the NASB. It says, and when it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of the king Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence, but let me read that same verse in the Living Bible. This is how it starts. One day in April, 
four months later. So this gives us a time marker between Nehemiah 1, where he heard of the destruction of Israel, and he mourned, he fasted, he prayed. Between that and between the time that he goes to the king is four months. Four months passed. So between chapter 1 and 2, four months. So I want to encourage you this morning that if you're seeking the Lord on something, do not give up if you do not get an immediate answer or immediate direction. The process of Nehemiah was mourning, praying, and fasting, and it was four months long before he actually went to the king. And the king began to bring him the, or give him the uh, resources he needed, and it was the answer to his prayer. Galatians 6, 9 says this, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And uh, that same scripture in the Living Bible, it says, Let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. The enemy's attack against you is to get you to be discouraged and give up. So this is something I talk about a lot, but I'm, I'm such a firm believer, and I've just seen it so much, that if you decide not to give up, you, will, you cannot be defeated. Like, the purpose of God will happen for your life. The only way that it won't happen for your life is if you give up. And obviously, there's various attacks he uses to cause you to want to give up, but if he can get you to give up and just walk away and say, I just I give up, or to go into hopelessness, this is the only way he gets victory over you. So let's read on in chapter 2. Nehemiah 2, we're going to read a few verses, 2 through 8. So the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I might rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen, queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when we return, and so it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And it goes on to say that the king granted them, granted to him what he was asking. As I was reading this passage, rereading it this week, that phrase, if it pleases the king, stood out to me. Nehemiah going to the king. How many know when we look at the Old Testament stories, we have to know how to apply them to our lives. So every time it's talking about the children of Israel, that's us. <laughs> I know you don't have to be Jewish. The Bible says if you've received Jesus, you're a spiritual son of Abraham. And we all are spiritual sons of Abraham through Jesus Christ. And so when we read these Old Testament stories, we, we represent the Israelites. When you see the enemies, the Philistines, the Ammonites, the, all the ites, when you see that, that is representing of the attack of the enemy. So talking about the spiritual realm, the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritual principalities in high places. 
So when we look at the stories of the Philistines, this is representative of spiritual attack. Now, he will use people. How many know that that's true? We all know that's true. He can use people, and he does use people when they partner with him and his plans. But it's always represented when we look at these stories, we're the children of Israel, the enemy is Satan and, and his minions and people who will partner with him. Partner with him, And in this story, it's Nehemiah going to the king. Who do you think the king represents? Who's the king? Jesus, God. God is the king. King Jesus or God. So he's going to the king, and that phrase, if it pleases the Lord, or if it pleases the king, stuck out to me. This is a great way to go to the Lord. God, you know more than I do. If it brings pleasure to you, if it pleases you, let this thing be done in my life. How many have ever prayed a prayer and it didn't come to pass, it didn't happen, and months later you were like, you're like, oh Lord, thank you so much for not answering that prayer. That would have been an absolute disaster. What I thought I needed, you knew that would have been a disaster. And thank you for protecting me from my prayer <laughs> that I prayed. So I love this. I love this prayer. I love this thing that Nehemiah goes to the king. It's representative of us going to God. And he says, if it pleases the king, let these things be done for me. Let these doors be opened for me. Let these resources come to me. So that just really stood out to me when I read that this week. That's a great way to prayer. Lord, let your will. It's, it's very similar to what Jesus said in the garden. God, not my will. Your will be done in my life. God, if this would please you, I think this looks good to me. I think this is right. But God, if only if this pleases you, let this take place in my life. All right, where are we at? Yeah, God is smarter than us. I hope we get that one. His ways are higher than our ways. The Bible says our wisdom is foolishness to him. By the way, um, we watched uh, the movie with our youth group. We watched a movie with our youth group in this room on Friday night, and I just need to rave on our youth group. We have such an amazing group of, of teens. Uh, yeah, it's true, and we watched a movie called The God Man, and the movie itself is kind of more of an encounter with God than a, than a movie, and The God Man, just, just in case you're wondering, is Jesus. He's the God who became a man, and awesome movie. It's a documentary, and it uh, really does feel like an encounter with God when you're watching this movie, and there's one thing that stood out to me. Um, one of the things that stood out to me is um, Bill Johnson's in the movie, and he was asked, what do you say to someone um, that says it's offensive to suggest that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to God? Like, well, how would you answer that? And uh, he kind of paused for a second, and he goes, well, they need to get over it. <laughs> because if he is God, then our opinions really don't matter. My opinion doesn't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter. There's only one thing that matters. Is he God or not? And if he is God, we adjust to him. Our job as humans is not to redefine what truth is. Our job is to find the truth and follow it. 
And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's, it's, it's interesting to me that that's one of the most offensive scriptures now in outside of Christian culture is that Jesus actually said he was the way, the only way. Amen. So since he is God and we are not and he's smarter than us, a great way to go to God is, Lord, if it pleases you, if it brings you glory, if it brings you pleasure, open these doors for me. Move these obstacles. Give me favor in this area. His ways are higher, and we submit our plans to him. Vision isn't coming to God with our plans and then asking him to bless them, but vision comes from God, and when it comes from him, he opens the doors and provides the provision for the vision. So sometimes, you know, vision can be, it can be just like this desire in our heart, just like, well, this is, I mean, we see that in the story of, of Nehemiah, where his, he hears about what's happening, and he mourns, and his, like, heart is so connected, he's like, I have to do something. So it can be this burning desire in your heart that's like God's putting vision. It can be God speaking to you. It can be a thought in your mind. But a great way when we don't know if it's God or not is to just go to him, Lord, I submit this vision to you. If it pleases you, let this happen in my life. All right. So Nehemiah is blessed by the king to go. He's given entry to where he needs to go and provision for the vision. So in chapter three, we see people coming out of the woodwork to help Nehemiah rebuild the city. And I, I love chapter three. We talked about it last week. But all these people are attracted to this vision that God has given Nehemiah. People are attracted to vision. They're not attracted to lack. They're attracted to vision. In chapter four, the naysayers, the mockers, the accusers come out. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're doing anything for God, you will have opposition. If you mistakenly believed, <laughs> when I'm doing something for God, everything's going to be perfect. I'm sorry to tell you that's just not true. Yeah, anything, if you're doing anything for God, you will have opposition. But Jesus said, don't lose heart. I've already given you the victory. I've already overcome the world. And his opposition usually comes as fear, accusation, intimidation. And this book, Nehemiah, it's so good for recognizing the attack of the enemy because he has no new tricks. This shows us exactly how he attacks and if we know the attack that he's planning against us, we have already won. And you're going to see that later in the story. So last week we talked about the accusations found in Nehemiah 4, and it details the common lies of the enemy that he tries to use against us um, when we're following a God vision. So here's some common lies. We talked about this last week. You're not good enough. When we start to step out in what God has, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you don't have enough schooling, you're not spiritual enough, he, he questions our motives, you're only doing something for God out of your own selfishness, you're trying to bring glory to yourself. This was an accusation against him. You're just doing this for yourself. You're trying to bring glory to yourself. You're trying to make yourself king here. 
That was the enemy, not God. Even if you accomplish anything, it won't last at all. So these are some of the common lies that the enemy sends against us when we step out to do something for the Lord. So if you're doing something for the Lord, the enemy is going to come against you. Um, go and study chapter 4 specifically. If you're on this, this mission for God, you know you're on God's vision because it will help you identify the lies that he may be using against you. So let's read Nehemiah 4. We're going to read 7 through 9. And this is actually where we left off last week. It says, now when Sanballat, Tobiah, the, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the wall of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to close, they were very angry. So they're getting amped up. They went to, they're angry. Now they're very angry because the plan uh, that they're using, the intimidation, the fear, it's not working. So they're getting frustrated. They're, they're going from angry to very angry. Verse 8, all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. And then verse 9, but we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. So this really stood out to me. We set up a guard against the enemy day and night. We need to set a guard against the enemy in the day and in the night. And this is what jumped out to me. If anyone has been having problems sleeping lately, or if you've been having bad dreams, you can set a guard against the enemy who may be warring against your rest at night. I said they set out protection against the enemy day and night. So obviously in the day we're, we're conscious, we're awake, but we can also set out a guard against the enemy at night. How do we do this? If, if he's attacking you in your dreams, if you're not getting rest, you're not getting sleep, this could be the enemy coming against you. So here's some things you can do. Number one, set an atmosphere at night before you go to bed. This is soaking music. Pray before you go to sleep. I love to read the word at night before I go off to sleep. I know Bill Johnson says the last thing I want in my mind before I go to bed is like scripture. He reads scripture right before he falls asleep. Number two is take authority over the plans of the enemy. If you know the enemy is attacking your sleep, just begin to take authority. Lord, I rebuke the enemy trying to come against my sleep in Jesus' name. And Lord, I invite the Holy Spirit. I invite you to speak to me in my sleep. And then number three is it's very practical. Have a routine and have a bedtime schedule. This is something that my wife and I are, are trying to progress in. We're having five kids. It helps us so much to have a schedule that we can count on and we know when they're going to bed and when we're going to bed, and it helps us make sure we're, we're um, getting enough sleep. By the way, if you're not dreaming at all, it could just be because you're not getting enough sleep. Like if you're getting, uh, if you're never getting into that full restful place of like, um, I forget what they call it. Thank you. REM sleep. Yeah, you, you will stop dreaming a lot of times. Okay. But I want to do this. I want to go after this this morning. If you're not getting good sleep or if you've been having nightmares, would you just be bold and stand up? We just want to pray for you right where you're at. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for being bold. Amen. And yeah, um, Vince and uh, Angela, Tina, can we just walk around and just put our hands on these people? 
right now we just cancel every assignment of the enemy against sleep in Jesus' name. We just break every attack off of your people getting rest right now in Jesus' mighty name. God, I just release the kingdom of heaven for these, everyone standing to just get such amazing, peaceful, restful sleep. And I want to release a testimony to you. On Friday night with our youth group, there was a visitor, and she told us she wasn't getting dreams anymore. And she, she actually, the Lord has been speaking to her in dreams, but she hadn't been getting dreams. And the youth began to prophesy over and said, you're going to get rest and you're going to get dreams. And she texts the next day one of her friends and she goes, you guys are crazy. I had a dream last night. <laughs> and so, Lord, I just pray for God dreams. We break off false prophetic dreams. We break off dreams from the enemy. And we just pray from dreams from heaven. <clears throat> Excuse me, dreams from heaven. In Jesus' name, and restful, peaceful sleep. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Thank you for standing. You can, you can be seated. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at verse 11. Nehemiah 4.11. We're gonna go through 14. Our enemy said, they will not know Grab onto this today. This is, this is so powerful. Our enemy said, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, or put a stop to the work. So they're plotting to come and attack them as they're building the wall. Verse 12, when the Jews who lived near the camp came and told us 10 times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses." So verse 13, he says, I station the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. This is so powerful and beautiful, and it really hit my heart this week. How many know that we are the family of God? And we stand together, and we fight side by side, and I believe that this is the hour to come together in unity as the body of Christ like never before to stand by side one another, side by side. It's this beautiful picture of he grabbed these families and had them all fight together, men, women, and children. This was like they're trying to wipe out this whole race of people. They hate the Jewish people. And he's like, all hands on deck, and we're going to fight in family. And there's something about all of us coming together as family and there's something special about our individual families coming together as one unit and seeing and fighting the plan of the enemy together as one unit. This may look like seeking the Lord and seeking God's vision for your individual family unit and having a family vision plan. And expressing even to your individual family, like, hey, we're in this, this God thing, we're in this together. And we're going to have a family vision, a family plan, and we're going to hold each other's arms up. We're going to resist the attack of the enemy together, and we're going to fight together side by side. 
holding the arms up of your children, holding the arms up of your spouse. God has specific anointings and strengths for each individual family. And you need to know what is the strength that God has put on your family? What is the anointing that he's put on your family? And, you know, I think one of the things for our family, my wife and I and our kids, is worship. There's like this anointing for worship. And I just felt, even as I was preparing for this message, like, man, I need to lead my family more in this area and cultivate this, this strength that God's given us in music and in worship. What is the anointing on your family? And I station the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. What is the station post for your family? Where does he have you stationed? We really need to be activated in the work that God has for us as a family. And it could be the missing piece in your family that really bonds you together like nothing else. Verse 14, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. A family on a mission together is a beautiful thing. Okay, verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us, he's talking about the attack, so they planned this attack against them. We're, we're going to attack them as they're on the wall. We're going to kill them before, so they can't do the work. It says, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. So first of all, I want to prophesy over you that God is frustrating the plan of the enemy against you and against your family. Now, this is what really fascinated me. It's fascinating that the enemy had a plan to attack. They had this plan. They're like, this is what we're going to do. But when the enemy knew that they were aware of the, the attack, the attack never came. When they were aware of what, that it was coming, they lost their courage. They had this courage. They're like, we're going we're gonna to attack them. The second that they knew they knew about it, they lost their courage. We need to know, now, I'm not interested in, in studying the enemy, but we need to be very aware of his attack, attack against us. And there's something in this story when they knew that the attack was coming, he lost his courage to bring the attack. Are you aware of what the enemy is trying to do against you? Yeah. What is the attack against your destiny? What is the attack against your family? It's important to know because when the enemy knows that you're ready for him, he loses his courage against you. All right, I'm going to land the plane, and we're going to talk about this again next week. Let's go to verse 16, Nehemiah 4:16. From that day on, half of my servants carried on the work, while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates, and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other holding a weapon. 
As for the builders, each wore his sword girded at his side as he built. While, he, while the trumpeter stood near me, I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. And whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, and our God will fight for us. So we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. At that time, I also said to the people, let each man with his servant spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by day and a laborer by night. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took a weapon even to the water. So I want to land the plane by going back to Nehemiah 2. Nehemiah 2.18, it says this. This is when Nehemiah gets the permission from the king, gets the resources, gets the letters he needs to, to get where he needs to go, and he comes and he surveys the land, and this is when he talks to the people of Israel. He said, I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's word which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. So what Israel couldn't do in 74 years, they did in 54 days. What they couldn't accomplish in an entire lifetime was done in a season. And I want to encourage you this morning that this is the year I've been saying it all year to move into the promised land, to get breakthrough of the things that have been holding you back. And I don't care if, it's, if you, you've had something holding you back for a lifetime. This thing had, was a discouragement. It was, um, it was uh, something that they just couldn't accomplish for 74 years in a, a lifetime. And all of a sudden, vision comes, and in a season, 50 days, breakthrough comes. And so I just want to encourage you that this is the season to arise and build and to go after those things. And I believe that God has fresh manna for you right now, fresh breakthrough in the areas that you're struggling in, in the areas that you want to grow in. God has it for you. Amen. This is a season of building and breakthrough. Yeah. And even if you've been dealing with it for a lifetime, God is bringing breakthrough in this season. Amen. Could you stand to your feet? We praise you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for your blood. We thank you that you made the way for us. We thank you that by grace, we've been set free. We've been redeemed. We thank you that you have a purpose and a plan for each person, and you have fresh vision for each family here and each individual. And God, I'm asking that you would just impart your vision to each person and to each family. And God, that we grab onto the vision that you have for our lives, for our church, for our families. And we ask that your kingdom of heaven would just come 
so mightily in this season. God, that we would sink our roots down deep in this season, that we would begin to build, that we would um, overcome every shame, condemnation, attack of the enemy. And we would say, like Nehemiah said, like, no, I'm not coming down. I'm doing a good work. Why should I stop the work and come down? And so I just bless everybody here. We just thank you, God, for what you're doing. We thank you, God, for what you've done. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Um, can we have our altar team come forward? And I just want to encourage you this morning, if you need prayer, um, come and find one of our altar workers. These are amazing, anointed, powerful people. We see God do so much right here at this altar. And so, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Amen.